Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Scottish Labour Party is struggling for survival. In February this year, it elected its latest leader who gave a bold pledge to provide better opposition to Nicola Sturgeon. I'm on your side and I'm determined that the Labour Party I lead will always be on your side because I will be a leader that focuses on what unites our country, not what divides it. And together we will build a better future for Scotland. Welcome to Payne's Politics, your essential insider guide to what's happening in British politics from the Financial Times. With me, Sebastian Payne. After a rather gruelling year for everyone, we finally reach the summer and Parliament is in recess. And as has been custom for the podcast, we'll be bringing you a series of interview specials over the next couple of weeks with some of the most interesting and engaging figures from across British politics. And none more so than our first guest. I'm delighted to welcome Anna Sawa, the newish leader of Scottish Labour. Today we have elected the first ever ethnic minority leader of a political party in the UK. That doesn't say something about me. That says something great about Scotland and its people. But the fight for equality is far from over. And I'll work with all our diverse communities in Scotland to rebuild the country we love. In tumultuous circumstances, he was elected as the party's leader in February after the collapse of his predecessor, Richard Leonard. He's had to campaign during a pandemic or trying to oversee a revival of the party that has struggled ever since the 2014 independence referendum. He's got to find a new message and a way of reconnecting with Labour's lost voters in Scotland who have abandoned Labour for the SNP. Anas, welcome to Payne's Politics. Thank you, Sam. A pleasure speaking to you. So before we get into the meat of things, how's it been? It's been six months since you were elected leader of the party. And for much of that time, like England, you've been in lockdown in Scotland. I imagine that's made things pretty difficult. Well, it's not quite six months yet. I think it's closer to three months rather than six months. So I'm still still getting used to it. But I'm, look, I'm enjoying it. And I think people can see from the way I've been conducting myself, either pre the election, during the election, after the election, is, you know, I, I want to present a, a more hopeful, positive, more optimistic kind of Labour Party. I'm the first to accept that we've not been good enough in Scotland for a very long time, and it's on me to fix that. I want to give the people of Scotland the Labour Party they deserve um, so we can confront the big challenges of our time and change the country we all love together. Now, you're the 10th leader, I believe, of the Scottish Labour Party, and there's been quite a lot of changes, shall we say, since 2014, where we've gone... That's putting them out, they say. <laughs> Indeed, well, there was the point when you were acting leader briefly in 2014, and we've gone through Jim Murphy, Kezia Dugdale, Kezia Dugdale again, we've got several more acting of Jackie Bailey, then we've had Richard Leonard, then we've had Jackie Bailey again, and now we've got back to Anasawa. So it's kind of a nice circular motion we've got there. But from the voters' perspective, and from the outsider perspective, 
it really looks as ever since the 2014 independence referendum, Scottish Labour's had an identity crisis. It doesn't quite know what it stood for. And ever since that period when you guys stood on the platform with Scottish Conservatives, you've been punished time and time again by the electorate. So in broad brush terms, how on earth are you going to reverse that? Well, I think it's safe to say it's not a job that comes with a long life expectancy. So I'm, I'm trying to change that trend. And it is, is, I think, the most difficult job in British politics. And, and we've got to make sure we, we change that. I think it's too much of a generalisation to probably put it all in 2014. I actually think since the, the birth of the Scottish Parliament in 1999, after the referendum, I think you've seen Labour's vote decline election on election on election. And I think where you're right is that acceleration of decline certainly has happened post-2014, but we can't blame the decline entirely on 2014. I think there's been lots of, I could speak to you all day about all the different things I think that Labour has got wrong over that period of time. How we change it is, look, what I, what I want us to do is is build the credible alternative to the SNP and the Tories. So one part of that is, yes, exposing the failures of both the Scottish and the UK government. But I think the lesson of history is, even if you expose failures of the Scottish and the UK government, unless you offer people a credible alternative they will still vote for the SNP and we'll still have perpetual SNP governments here in Scotland. So I want us to build that credible alternative. And that credible alternative is, is one, firstly around our national recovery. So how we come through the pandemic, how we build a recovery that works for everyone across our country. And then also that alternative, which is this division that we have in our politics, this culture of division, this culture of us versus them, which started with the referendum, build up to the referendum and through that referendum, then you had it with the Brexit referendum and you've seen it happen in other parts of the world as well where basically you have political parties who want to create us versus them culture, divide communities in order to gain economic or political power. And I think the lesson for Labour in all of that is we don't defeat us versus them politics by creating our own version of us versus them, making half the population angry with another half of the population. And I think that's a lesson for, for us in Scotland, but actually I think a lesson for the UK Labour Party. Quite often what I see is happening in communities across the rest of the UK is it somehow feels like where we were as a Scottish Labour Party five years ago. So we don't defeat us versus them with our own version of us versus them. Instead, we have got to present an all of us rather than an us versus them. And that means the politics of, of unity and being unashamed to talk about unity rather than division. It means changing the culture, the language, the tone of the way we do our politics. And I think that's where the empathy comes in. And I think we've seen some of that through the pandemic, but I think we need to develop and build upon that in the pandemic. People don't want their politicians just shouting at each other or seeing politics as a game. They want to see politicians acting in the national interest, not in their own interest. And I think we've seen the, the downsides of political parties that act in their own interest or in the national interest as again through independence and Brexit being the being two examples. How do we change the tone and the language of our politics? And then fundamentally is how do we give a vision to people of a different kind of Scotland, a different kind of UK, if they were to have a Labour government? And I think developing that more hopeful, positive message, I think is a route back for us rather than a negative approach. Now, just to pick up on something you said before, you said that obviously this collapse that Scottish Labour's had over the past six years or so is not necessary just to do with the independence referendum. But if you think back to the 2015 referendum, you know, Scottish Labour lost 40 of its 41 seats. There is clearly, you know, there may have been structural changes in terms of the Labour vote and a shift around the yes, no divides on the Indy ref. But clearly, 
that has reset things in Scotland in a big way. And it feels as if where Scottish Tories have done well, particularly under Ruth Davidson's leadership, is to say, we are the unionist voice now. And if that's how politics is going to go down those yes, no divides, then that's just box Scottish Labour out. Like you might want to talk about unity, but ever since 2014, that's how people in Scotland appear to have voted. Well, I think that the great challenge for us and all of that is whilst the Tories claim to be the party of the union, actually they are the biggest threat to the United Kingdom. And the challenge we have, and I'm, I'm quite open about this, so in the Scottish Parliament election, the challenge we had was, despite being in opposition for 15 years and the SNP having been in government for 15 years, we hadn't told a credible enough story over that 15-year period about the mistakes the SNP had made in government, the failures they'd made, the lack of them being having the right priorities and therefore them paying an electoral price for it. We hadn't done that work. Now, I had to try and do that over a six-week period, very, very difficult over a six-week period when time was not on our side and new leadership. So that work hadn't been done. And I, I think we've got to do that opposition part in a much more credible way. But the other part I think that's really difficult is this idea that the Tories are the great defenders of the union. First of all, the Brexit chaos is on their watch. Even before that, David Cameron coming out of the doorstep of Downing Street the morning after the independence referendum to announce English votes for English laws, to look like he was punishing Scotland rather than actually embracing being a, a UK-wide prime minister, actually helped the independence cause. They scrapped the evil last week because they realised it failed, but actually there's big mistakes before then. I just say on Brexit... But also, one of the big challenges that you have in Scotland is Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP have this approach that as long as they're a little bit better than Boris, that's good enough. One, good enough for, to keep them in government, but secondly, also means why shouldn't we then have independence? I'm sorry, Scotland should have a much higher bar than being a little bit better than Boris Johnson and a little bit better than the Tories. And so every time there is a failure in Scotland, what the SNP first of all tries to do and says, this failure wouldn't happen in Scotland if only we had independence. And if that doesn't work, they then point to the Tories and say, well, look, this might have been really bad, but at least we're not as bad as that lot over there. To reduce our entire politics to that, I think, is really, really unfortunate. And therefore, I think the challenge for Labour is how do we, one, have that much more hopeful message, that unity message, that all of us message, but also how then do we rebuild the relationships that we have in Scotland? And I think this is the big bit that is the untold story of the SNP's success and actually also Labour's decline is what the SNP did very, very successfully in the run-up to the 2007 Scottish Parliament election when they came into government for the first time, is actually they spent the time making the relationships and the networks across different parts of Scotland and projecting a different story and projecting a different vision for Scotland. And I think Scottish Labour has been very, very poor at that. And so what I want us to do is, yes, have a more coherent and cohesive message as a national party here in Scotland. Of course, I want us to rebuild our structure and our organisation so we're a fit machine to fight elections in this new age. But I also want to get out there and build the relationships and the networks because everyone knows everyone in Scotland. And if they don't, they know someone that knows someone. That's why relationships matter, networks matter, and people are going to see that over the coming weeks, months and years. I really want to get out there and have those conversations in different parts of Scotland. But doesn't this say something about, shall we say, the calibre or the quality of opposition politicians in Scotland that if the SNP are doing that bad a job and there's oodles of statistics you can pull out in terms of schools, in terms of education, in terms of contracts, in terms of procurement, where all the things that you see that often result from having one party in power for a lot of time, that, that you 
and the Scottish Toys have failed to make any significant dent into their standing. And it's something that I think... Sam, I'm, I'm quite open about it. I was open about it during the election. Um, Scotland's not had a good enough government, but Scotland's also not had a good enough opposition. And therefore, what we need to build is that credible alternative. I'm not shy about saying that. The Labour Party's not been good enough. It's not been good enough in Scotland. It's not been good enough across the UK. And it's on us to fix it. It's not on the electorate to fix it for us. It's not on us to say, we're just going to put a different coating on it or try and change it around the edges or try and change the face or try and change a couple of the words and things will get okay again. It's not going to be good enough. We have not given the people a good enough political party to vote for. That's why we've kept losing elections. We're to blame, not the public. And that's a big part, I think, too many Labour politicians forget. We like to blame the electorate rather than blame ourselves. We've not been good enough. It's on us to fix it. It's on us to give people the Labour Party they can vote for. And it's on us to project a vision for this country that people can believe in, get in behind, and we can deliver so we can create a fairer nation together. Now, let's go into some nitty-gritty for a moment here. Um, Do you think the Scottish Labour Party needs more operational autonomy? Because this is something that's gone backwards and forwards for quite some time, that this idea of the National Labour Party across the UK took Scotland for granted for too much. You know, you had total hegemony for such a period of time in terms of Holyrood, in terms of Westminster. But now, the only way you can rebuild and to be listened to as you want to again by the Scottish electorate is to have a clear break from Westminster because you need to do very different things from Keir Starmer. Is that something you're going to pursue? It's an interesting suggestion. The challenge you have is we do have an autonomy agreement between the Scottish party and the the UK party. And what happens in Scotland is decided by me and my colleagues in Scotland. How we operate in Scotland is decided by me and my colleagues in Scotland. Our priorities for Scotland are decided by me and our colleagues in Scotland. But these things are about perception, aren't they? It's about how people see it. I think a bigger problem has been, I think too many Scottish Labour leaders and UK Labour leaders have thought about, on a structural level or on a public-facing level, how do we project the autonomy of the Scottish Labour Party? When in actual fact, relationships and how those relationships are managed and how different or parts of the organisation respect the autonomy of different parts of the organisation is a much more serious part. So one of the things that often frustrates me is people decide how much autonomy they do or they do not want, depending on the political alignment of the Scottish leader and the UK leader. So if they think the UK leader's political alignment matches theirs, they don't want any autonomy at all. If they think the political alignment doesn't match, then they want full autonomy and vice versa. That's not a relationship that works. So regardless of who the Scottish Labour leader is, regardless of who the UK Labour leader is, regardless of what political wing people may view they come from, we have got to have a relationship that works no matter who those leaders at any moment in time. People might think this sounds a bit harsh, but the reality is when it comes to Scotland, the decisions in Scotland and the priorities for Scotland and the policies for Scotland, I'm in charge. Keir Starmer knows that, Angela Reno knows that, the Shadow Cabinet knows that. And the wider point that you make around the Red Wall, etc., One of the things that frustrates me is we've had a lot of conversation around the Red Wall and people talking about the north of England. In actual fact, the first Red Wall to fall was Scotland, not the north of England. Unless we win back the Red Wall in Scotland, we will not have a UK Labour government again. And so, yes, it's on me to fix the Scottish Labour Party, but also we need the UK Labour Party to be doing better so it helps us persuade people that we can have a UK Labour government again and there is an alternative vision. And there is an alternative chance to get rid of this ridiculous, inward-looking, 
narrow culture war fighting Tory party, but also say that the answer to that form of nationalism isn't the SNP's form of nationalism, it's just a form of us versus them. And actually Scotland's always been bigger and better than that. Now, here's a very simple question for you. Is the UK Labour Party a unionist party? We're a pro-United Kingdom party. And let me just explain to you a bit bit about why that, you know, unionism tag, it has different meanings in different parts of the country. Look, I'm from the west of Scotland. And the west of Scotland, Glasgow in particular, there's lots of different meanings and connotations around some of those terms and those words. So I think people need to realise that it's for certain communities, it becomes a lot more loaded than just that simple phrase itself. We are the pro-United Kingdom party. I want Scotland to be a key part, integral part of the United Kingdom. We should be proud of that. And what I would say to Labour colleagues in other parts of the UK is directly, one, the SNP is not the Labour Party in Scotland with a saltire. Secondly, the independence goes against the very principles in the heart of Labour values. It would cause much greater austerity. It would not help to achieve the values of social justice. It goes against the principles of solidarity. So do not see this as some kind of progressive friend. And third, those that argue for the progressive alliance. We have a progressive alliance in the UK. It's called the Labour Party. Our problem has been that we have not projected to the country an alternative to both the SNP and the Tories. We've spent all our time looking internally rather than looking externally. So that's a clear message I would send to colleagues across the the UK. Please do not use Scotland, the Scottish independence question, the constitutional question, for factional infighting. If you've got factionalism to play, go and play it somewhere else. Scotland's not interested. Because you obviously know why I'm asking this. There was two tweets by your Labour colleagues. One was Lloyd Russell Moore, the Labour MP, who said, the UK Labour are not unionists. We are democratic socialists that see strength of people coming together to cooperate. And then Diane Abbott, the former Shadow Home Secretary, said she agreed with Mr Russell Moore and said, UK Labour is not unionist. We take our lead from our sister party, the SDLP. And they were obviously talking about Northern Ireland there. But this does come to a question that obviously... You've put forward the case of why you are still the best voice for unionism. But is there a need for you to possibly reconsider that when you look at the central belt of Scotland, that if you want to try and win back some of those seats and get a Labour government, maybe you're going to have to weaken that very hard line, no position to another independence referendum? Well, I'd say in that sense, first of all, they were talking about Northern Ireland. They weren't talking about Scotland. Secondly, Please don't use issues like the Constitution when there is a real history there, loaded history, in order to pick factional fights. I think we're better than that as a political party, regardless of what anyone might identify themselves on. Third, for me, the question around independence, likewise for Brexit, isn't a political calculation about what it means for me personally in my political career or what it means for the Labour Party. It's about what's right for people. And I fundamentally don't believe in independence. I believe it goes against the very principles that I believe in around solidarity, around internationalism, around the redistribution of wealth and opportunity. That's why I didn't support Brexit. That's why I don't support independence. That's not to say that people haven't got a legitimate reason in terms of their own belief system, their own ideology to support independence. People have the right to believe whatever they wish. I've also got the right to believe something different and argue for what I believe. In terms of the wider question, I'm proud of devolution. I'm, devolution is a concept completely separate from independence. And I think we have got to robustly resist the suggestion of the idea that somehow devolution is a roadmap with the final destination is independence. 
Independence ends devolution. It doesn't further the cause of devolution. They are completely two different concepts. And I think if you speak to people in Liverpool, if you speak to people in Manchester, you speak to people in Cardiff, just like if you speak to people in Birmingham or indeed in Edinburgh and in Glasgow, they feel a disconnect from the UK government. They feel a disconnect from the Tories. They feel a disconnect from Boris. And if we are going to have a recovery that works for everyone, all parts of the UK, works for urban, coastal, rural communities, island communities, then we have got to push power and resources out from our parliaments into local communities across the country. That means pushing power at Westminster to the nations and regions. But crucially, and this is the part the SNP forget, is pushing power out in the Scottish Parliament to the local communities in Scotland, rather than viewing Scotland as some kind of monolith that has one collective view, that has one collective priority. The priorities in Glasgow are very different to the priorities, for example, in Stornoway. And actually, I'm going to be spending a lot of time over the coming weeks in different parts of Scotland, learning directly from people about the impact of the pandemics had on them and what the priorities should be for their local communities around building that national recovery. And is a message that I think too few politicians in Scotland really want to project. But there is, just to clarify, there is a difference between saying I'm against independence versus saying I can see the democratic will of the Scottish people is they want to have another referendum. So for absolute clarity, while you're leader, you are not going to back another independence referendum. First thing I'd say is look, look at the David Cameron lesson. So David Cameron did not support Brexit, but he left with us in Brexit chaos and we are still continuing to pay the price even coming through a pandemic. So if I don't believe in something, I'm not going to be arguing for it. And we all made a pledge during the election campaign that we were, in the final days at least, that we were going to focus on our national recovery. And that's what I want us to do, is focus on that national recovery, get people back to work, restart our NHS, get our children's education sorted, pandemic-proof our schools in the coming weeks before the kids go back eh, to school, and focus, for example, on COP26, the biggest the climate emergency. We've got 10 years. We keep getting told we've got 10 years to confront this climate emergency. Do we really want to spend half of those 10 years arguing about the Constitution and arguing about independence? I would much rather we spend the next 100 days focusing on COP26 and coming out of COP26 what I call the Glasgow Agreement when the world finally starts to take serious the challenge of climate change and actually puts their fine words into meaningful action. That's internationalism at its best not inward-looking nationalism of the Tories and the SNP. You're right, and that is going to be a huge moment for Scotland and from Glasgow. So have to keep all of our fingers crossed as able to go ahead as well as planned with the pandemic. Fingers crossed, because I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity for Glasgow, not just around the, of course, importance of, you know, challenging climate change, but actually given the year and a half we've had, it's a huge opportunity for the city to demonstrate that it is a, a city on the world stage, that, that Glasgow is open for, for business, and a huge opportunity for, for the local economy. So we are keeping our fingers crossed for a, a thriving COP26 in 100 days' time. And finally, Nas, let's just look forward to the next UK-wide general election, which is obviously due to be in 2024, unless Boris Johnson decides to go early for whatever reason. As you said, the Labour Party is very unlikely, I think almost impossible for them to win a majority in Westminster without Scotland reviving. For you, what is a good result for Scottish Labour? It's obviously getting more than just one seat, but it's probably somewhere below getting the 40 seats you had after the 2010 election. So realistically, what do you want to try and achieve? Well, look, I'm not going to set an arbitrary target. You wouldn't expect me to... You surprise me. You, exactly, Seb. You, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to surprise you and give you that target on this call. What, what I would say is that we have got a huge job of work to do. 
And I actually think the election will probably be in 2023 rather than 2024. And so we have less than two years to rebuild the Labour Party here in Scotland. And given where we were just a few months ago, I think there are real opportunities for us, but we've got to maximise those opportunities. And that means, first of all, being clear about us being an all of us party, not an us versus them party. Us setting out an alternative vision for the country, both when I say the country, I mean both Scotland, but also the wider UK, and making sure that the UK party doesn't make the same mistakes that we made here in Scotland. And it's on me to fix the Scottish Labour Party, but also we need the UK Labour Party to be thinking about that election and improving as well. So we can be in a position in two years' time, if that's when the election is, to credibly say to people, there is a chance of electing a UK-wide Labour government. There is a chance to do our politics differently. There is a chance to build a different kind of Scotland, a different kind of UK, but you only get it if you vote Labour and people credibly believe in that when they come to the ballot box. That is a huge challenge for us over the next two years, but I think it's a challenge that is achievable. And, you know, the, the reassurance I want to give to anyone listening to this podcast, whether they are a Labour member, Labour sympathiser, or someone that might think about voting Labour at some point in the future, is I am not naive about the scale of the challenge that we face here in Scotland. I'm not naive about what we need to do in Scotland to help achieve that UK Labour government, but neither am I naive about the challenge that the UK party faces in order for us to win that election. But I'm going to be confronting this with positivity, with optimism and with hope. And I genuinely think that if we have a message of unity rather than division, we can see the Labour Party getting back to where it belongs and winning the trust of people across the UK and returning a UK Labour government. And I do think, though, there is a potential problem for Labour at the next election that actually the Tories will wheel out the same message they used in 2015, which was in England, they said, if you vote Ed Miliband, you're going to get Nicola Sturgeon. They're going to go and do a deal with the Scottish Nationalists to get a majority. And that's going to, and it was basically stoking English nationalism. And I have no doubt that the Tories will do a similar thing again this time. How can you combat that? Because you can say to your blue in the face, you're not going to do a deal with the SNP in Westminster or anywhere else, but the Tories will say, oh, it can be an informal deal or whatever it may be. A really simple answer to that, Seb. First of all, one, we're obviously going to try and campaign for a majority Labour government. But if we do not get a majority Labour government, and there is a hung parliament, there's a very simple choice facing the SNP. That doesn't require deals. It doesn't require any negotiations. The simple choice is, will they vote to have a Labour government or will they vote to have a Tory government? Can we dare them to vote for a Tory government and see how Scotland treats them after that? Tell us one thing that people who may not be too aware of you would like to know. I used to be a dentist before I became a politician, so I'm clearly a glutton for punishment. <laughs> and I'm, I'm someone that is passionate about changing our country. And, you know, for me, I, I, I'm not one of those kind of politicians that wants to just fight with other politicians. I think everyone's in it for the right reasons, but for some of us have different priorities to others. So I think if we, if we remember that, we remember that our... Differences shouldn't mean that we have to dislike each other. That in itself can change the tone of our politics because we can't separate the divisions that people feel in our communities from the way we do our politics and the, our political discourse. So let's disagree, but let's not dislike. Let's take the hate of our politics and rebuild the country we all love together. Well, from pulling real teeth to pulling metaphorical <laughs> teeth, Anasawa, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Sid. And that's it for this week's episode of Payne's Politics. If you enjoyed the podcast, then we'd recommend subscribing. You can find us through all the usual channels, Apple, Spotify, Google, and your smart speaker to receive episodes as soon as they're released. We also do like positive ratings and reviews. 
Payne's Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Howie Shannon. The sound engineer was Breen Turner. Until next time, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.